Well, good morning, everyone. It's a, it's a joy to be with you this morning. And uh, to think that um, we're coming to the end of our study in First Peter. Uh, I think we just have this week and next week. Uh, maybe one more after that and then we're, then we're done. Uh, so it's been such a, a joy, uh, this journey going through First Peter uh, with all of you. Uh, just as we begin, let me uh, read Psalm 96 verse 1 and then we'll pray and then we'll get started. Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we are so glad to be here this morning. And we thank you for uh, providing for us the good tidings, the good news of this great salvation in which we are called your children. Uh, Lord, this is the day that you have made. Uh, cause our hearts to rejoice and be glad in it because you are sovereign, you are gracious, you are good, and your grace is greater than all of our sin. Uh, thank you for bringing your people here this morning. May this time be uh, rich and a blessing uh, to them as this study has been to my own soul uh, that we would be further equipped uh, in this world and in this church to live for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so the title, and I'm really sorry by the way as, as we begin, I, I didn't get around to doing PowerPoint this week. I didn't get around to making a handout for you guys, but um, Hopefully, by the Spirit of God and His grace, I can still make the point with power, just without PowerPoint, okay? Um, and we know that it's His Word that does that, ultimately. Uh, so forgive me for that, but it's a, it's a joy to be with you this morning as we begin. The title of, of our lesson this morning is The Heart of a True Shepherd, The Heart of a True Shepherd, and I trust you have your Bibles already open to First Peter, chapter five. We'll be going through verses one to four, one to four. And as we begin to approach the end of our study of of how to stand firm in suffering, Peter now turns our attention to the leadership of the local body of Christ. He has been faithfully shepherding the sheep from chapters one, two, three, and four and how to stand firm in suffering, speaking of the great salvation of God's children and how we live in submission to God and to government and to one another. And now at chapter five, he makes the fulcrum. He makes the huge pivot to instructing the elders because, well, elders need to be shepherded as well, don't they? Peter zeroes in here on the purity of heart before God in relationships among those in the church, beginning with the leaders of the church. He has encouraged the people all along, and now he exhorts the pastors of the scattered, suffering churches of Rome to cultivate and maintain a shepherd's heart. And it is kind of uh, convicting and kind of hard um, with someone like myself even being in, in pursuit of, of leadership and of, of eldership to, be, to, to have to speak on a passage like this this morning. So it's quite humbling, it's, it's a joy, and it's quite helpful and it's quite sanctifying. And I pray that it would be for, for all of us this morning. So that brings us to point number one, the shepherd's encouragement the shepherd's encouragement. In our text, in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, Peter says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Peter begins here with this language of urging, begging, coming alongside of the people. It, it is the language of a shepherd coaxing, goading the sheep in the right direction. He makes this urgent appeal for the spiritual leaders to tend the flock of God. How? 
In our passage, we see in a moment, how are we to shepherd the flock of God? We're to do it willingly, voluntarily, eagerly, and being an example of Christ to the flock. That's how we're to do it. But before he exalts the elders in that way, he has some very encouraging words. And these are the words which explain who Peter is and what his experience has been like as a shepherd himself in these opening words. Look at it briefly with me for a moment. He says, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder, fellow elder. Now an elder, if you're going to translate it in the Hebrew, it simply means bearded one. <laughs> bearded one. In other words, in reference to, to age and more so one who is dependable on, you can seek wisdom from them and discernment. There was elders among the cities. An elder is one who presides over assemblies and churches, one who manages affairs within the body. And you'll notice this throughout the New Testament, the, the terms bishop and presbyter come from this word and they are interchangeable throughout the New Testament. So. Peter classifies himself with the elders as a fellow elder. Um, this is humility. This is not haughtiness on Peter's part. He does not think himself to be more important than anyone else. He could have commanded the people as an apostle, right? But instead, he lovingly, humbly summons them as a fellow elder to tend the flock of God. Notice he says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, just real quickly, with that phrase, what, can, what observation can we make from, from that phrase as he says, I exhort the elders among you? What's, what do you think's important and helpful regarding that phrase? Elders among you. What? Group of people and there are elders interspersed. Good. Does that make sense to everybody? That's what the passage is saying. The, 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 this is observation 101. This is, this is the wisdom and care of God, the plurality of elders in your midst, in your city, even. Uh, Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.5, appoint elders in every city. Singular. Plural, singular. Peter doesn't say, notice also, I'm the head elder or I'm the arch elder. Notice that? He, he didn't say, I'm the first pope, as many will extract from Matthew 6.18, right? Rather, I exhort you as a fellow elder. Now, while this is remarkable that Peter the apostle would take the less exalted title fellow elder to speak to elders, it is even more remarkable that he should describe himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. That's our next phrase. As a witness of the sufferings of Christ. A witness What's a witness? A witness obviously is one who has heard something, seen something, a, one who has been a spectator of something, who made a record of something. And in the ethical, biblical sense of witness is one who has proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. In fact, this very word witness is the Greek word martus, which sounds like what? Martyr. Now think of it. Peter could have said, I'm a witness of the transfiguration of Christ. He could have, because he was there. Or he could have said, I'm a witness of the resurrection of Christ. Rather, <laughs> he tells the church he's seen the suffering of Christ. And he testifies the fact of the Savior's sufferings. And think of this in regards to the sufferings of Christ. If anyone's familiar with the details surrounding Christ's sufferings, they'll think of the most painful episode in Peter's life. What do you think was one of the most painful episodes in Peter's life? 
That's right, denying Christ. It's, <laughs> it's remembering what kind of witness he, Peter, was, one whose courage failed and who denied that he even knew him three times with cursings. This, this had to encourage the elders. It had to encourage in them a, a humble willingness to shepherd the flock Jesus' way and not with hypocritical pride or an unwillingness ever to admit doing wrong. So here's Peter telling the church, I exhort you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ among whom I produced some of those sufferings and I witnessed his sufferings and what it accomplished. But then he moves on into our next phrase. So this is a threefold encouragement here. I'm a fellow elder with you. I'm a witness of the, of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. <laughs> Partaker. This is the word koinonia, where we get the word fellowship, partnership, companionship. Dear Peter, along with the saints at the scattered church of Rome, says, I'm not only in with you all on the suffering, but I'm a sharer with you all in the glory that will come which God has prepared for those who love him. And this is how he's actually been encouraging them all along from the very beginning of this letter. Back in chapter one, verse five, he said, we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and in this you rejoice. Then further in chapter four, verse 13, 1 Peter, at the revelation of his glory, we will rejoice with exaltation. And then further in chapter five, verse 10, he says, as he begins to wrap up the letter, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. The glorious condition of blessedness that is appointed for the believers is significant battle gear, wouldn't you say? For the mind to help equip us to stand firm in suffering. So Peter, before he exhorts the elders to cultivate a shepherd's heart, he primes the pump here, okay? He lifts their chin by telling them that he too is a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to come. And because of God's grace, he is in the race with them. He is in the race with them. And that brings us to point two, the shepherd's encouragement in verses two to three. The shepherd's encouragement. He now gives this sweet encouragement. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. <laughs> now, Peter's a fisherman, if I remember correctly, but he's using the motif of a shepherd, this picture. And if you'll notice, he's actually passing on the final words of Jesus before his ascension that was given directly to him. If you'll remember in John 21, 16, remember some of the final words that Jesus gave to him on the beach with that cooked fish that morning? Remember what he told Peter after Peter said, I love you, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. What did he, what did he say in return? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Now, there's a lot involved in feeding lambs. Maybe some of you have been shepherds or shepherdesses here. I don't know. But there's a lot involved in this. And so real quickly, why does God use this motif of himself and of his under shepherds throughout the scriptures? Talk to me. Why does God use this title, this description of himself and even of his under shepherds? 
throughout the New Testament. Why does God call him himself a, a shepherd? Why does he then call spiritual leaders in the body of Christ under shepherds? Or really, you could say sheepdogs. How about that? Why? Amen. He feeds them, protects them. Good. What else? Good, good. He knows them. They follow him only, being the good shepherd of John 10. Someone, was, someone said something over here. He is the lamb of God. Okay. <clears throat> There's a lot in that. Good, what else? Speaking of shepherding, you can just turn around. And there, there's a little shepherding going on up there. See, there, there they go. <laughs> Say it again. He, he brings the lost ones back. Good, that's what a shepherd does. That's exactly what a shepherd does. Amen. Good. Come again. We are sheep. Come on. Amen. Yes. Amen. Good. Someone else. Yes. Amen. He, he knows our neediness. Neediness. Amen. He will not allow one of us to be plucked from his hand. This is strong language, isn't it? It's sweet. It's, it's, it's intimate. A lot of times we think, uh, oh, you know, um, man, that's such low language as, as God in the scriptures calls us sheep. You know, that dumb, those dumb sheep. That, okay, yes, there is that aspect, but that's not the point as we see it throughout the scriptures. As you guys have already said, the sheep are dependent creatures, prone to wandering, unable to find their way to a shepherd, e even when the shepherd's in its sight. So the analogy of shepherd sheep is fitting, isn't it? It's not demeaning, it's fitting for our circumstance, for who, as, you, as was mentioned, the heart, that the heart of God is. Because of our helplessness and our tendency to wander and get lost, we are in need of the good shepherd. And Peter mentioned back, you could probably flip back one page to 1 Peter 2.25. He said, we were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. God, our shepherd, has graciously given us under shepherds to oversee our souls. And speaking of overseeing, that brings us to our next verb, to oversee. Shepherd the flock of God among you. How? The scripture says here, by exercising oversight. Now, with this exhortation, we will see here, there are three couplets of motives for how to and how not to exercise oversight over a church, okay? Three couplets here in verses two and three. There are worthy motives and there are unworthy motives. So, Unworthy motive number one. What's the, the first unworthy motive, would you say, in verse two? What's that? Okay, yep. What, what, what else does your Bible say? Yep, yep, being forced, under compulsion. Exercise oversight, not <laughs> under compulsion. In other words, God doesn't want reluctant, unwilling shepherds to care for his people. Do not serve without God-given motivation. If a man serves as an elder because his wife or, or friends pressure him to, to serve, or because he's trapped in a, a circumstance in that, that church, or because no one else will do the work, he would then be serving under 
compulsion, by constraint, or by force. Question. (laughs) Are elders to serve like drafted soldiers or like volunteers? Volunteers. Yeah. That brings us to our worthy motive, number one. But to be exercising oversight, to be shepherding the people voluntarily, according to the will of God, voluntarily, freely, willingly. And literally, it's probably italicized in your Bibles, to the will of their, will of God, that's, that's not in the original. It simply reads, according to God. <laughs> Serve voluntarily according to God. Spurgeon puts it this way. Quote, one volunteer is worth two pressed men. On the high planes of spiritual service, no number of pressed men can take the place of a volunteer. So this willing spirit Peter is talking about is literally according to the heart of God. This is God's standard. God is not reluctant. He's not an unwilling shepherd. He cares for his sheep gladly, willingly, freely, graciously. And just as God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he loves cheerful, willing elders. Cheerful, willing, spiritual leadership in the body, his body, in the body of Christ. So that brings us to unworthy motive number two. He goes on. Shepherd them, exercise oversight. How? Not for what? For what? Sordid gain. Or if you have a King James, filthy lucre, right? Shameful gain. Money that is gained in a dishonorable way. Now, hold on a second. Um, How can this happen among elders? How can this happen among the spiritual leadership in the body of Christ? Talk to me. How could this, how has this, how can this possibly happen? Say again. Okay, pride. Let's get even more specific. Greed. Okay, yep, we're going to get to that. Good. Power. Good, we're going to get to that. You guys are giving away the lesson. You're, you're taking it all. That, <laughs> let, but I want us to think specifically. Think even more like hands-on. How in the world could this possibly literally happen? Yes. Okay, good. Things having to do, items having to do with, with the new building. Kickback, okay. Anything else? I, I don't want to make us too uncomfortable here, but this is... Good. Amen. He was corrupt. Yep. Okay, so again, accountability there, and yep. Good. That's it. Health and wealth, prosperity, enrich yourself. It wouldn't happen in which, where? In today's church. No, it doesn't happen today. It only happened then, right? And it's interesting, isn't it? It was happening then, then. It's amazing. Here's our unworthy motive number one, coupled with it. Sorry, number two, we're on number two. Unworthy motive number two, we're not to be doing this for sordid gain. Uh, Paul tells Titus in Titus 1.7, for the overseer must, not be, uh, must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of money, given to sordid gain. Paul tells Timothy in, in, in equipping the elders of the church, the elder is to be free from the love of money, 1 Timothy 3.3. 3. This kind of spirit and motive was alive then, and it is, as you know, alive and well today. But what about the worthy motive here? What's the worthy 
motive. Number two, to exercise oversight, to shepherd the people of God, the flock of God, how? But with eagerness, willingly, of a ready mind, zealous, enthusiastically. This word is stronger than our previous worthy motivation of doing it voluntarily. It has to do with personal desire and passion. Personal desire and passion. And wouldn't you say that might get a little bit hard, especially in the context of where Peter's writing, in the midst of suffering and persecution? Don't just do it voluntarily, do it eagerly, readily. This eagerness underlies the trustworthy statement of 1 Timothy 3.1. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Eager elders are driven to care for the sheep. The sheep are their life, their chief concern. They aren't concerned about the personal sacrifices they make or their financial gain. They love this work so much that they will gladly serve without, without pay or recognition, just like the tent maker, Paul. They go beyond minimal duty, self-interest and money. They simply love to shepherd God's people. But now Peter has saved the worst and best for last. Unworthy motive number three, what is it? nor yet as, what does it say? As lording it over those who allotted to, who have been allotted to your charge. This verb, lording it over, carries the idea of forcefully gaining mastery over others, dominion, bringing others under, under your power. This, this, is, <laughs> this is far more subtle and widespread temptation than greed is. This unworthy motive is the abuse of authority, the desire for power and control over others. It, it is that dictatorial attitude. So what might lording it over others in the church look like? What might that look like? Misinterpreting scripture for their own gain. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What else? Other examples of this is what it kind of looks like if, 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 if now not, we're not getting into the area of, of assumption or twisting things. We want to believe the best of others. All of that is true. But what might, because we all, I, do we all have sinful hearts here that can be deceived and we can, yeah, okay. So <laughs> what might it look like? Other ways of how it might look to lord spiritual authority over, over the people of God. Yeah. Insisting that you agree with me even in the gray areas. Good. Your, your conscience is going to be my conscience. Okay, good. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What else? Turning a blind eye to... Abuse. Good. A little favoritism there. A little. Okay. Good. Who? Who else? Yeah. Matt. Using the pulpit to bully others. So easy to do. So easy. You see how this is more subtle? A temptation than even greed is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do not lord it over others. And, and as it's already been mentioned, we all know the saying, power corrupts, right? Power corrupts. And here's what really humbles us. It does in the holiest of contexts. Even among God's people. Spurgeon puts it this way, quote, pride lurks at the heels of power. Just a little authority among leadership is prone to turn a humble walk into a most offensive strut. Sadly, this prideful strut 
has long been a temptation for church leaders, yet they, they get puffed up by their position when their position should actually humble them. And just as a master shouldn't lord his position over his workers, Colossians 3, and just as a parent shouldn't abuse their authority over their children, Ephesians 6, so too the elder shepherd needs to be very watchful over his heart that he does not begin to lord his God-given position over the precious flock. There's a lot of warning about this in the Old Testament, and I wish I could just read all of the Old Testament passages regarding how God is ready to strike the shepherd who abuses his sheep. Just a couple quick ones here. Ezekiel 34.4. I would encourage you this week, read Ezekiel 34. Read Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23 on God being the shepherd and all of the false shepherds and what they're doing to his people. Read Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34. It is so helpful. But Ezekiel 34.4 says, with force and with severity, you have dominated the sheep. In what ways? The same ways that you have just mentioned. They are not souls to be abused. They are souls to be shepherded. They're not subjects to be ruled. <laughs> Jesus says in, in Mark 10, 42, as he's warning the disciples, he knows their hearts and he's heard of what they said and what the, mo what the mother has said. Oh, just sit on your right hand. And he says, those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. <laughs> and then two sentences later, he gives this amazing example of this is how you are to lead. This is, this is what it looks like. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how it's supposed to look, my dear disciples, <laughs> as they're seeking who's going to sit where and what are we going to... Anyone familiar with diatrophies? Diatrophies of 3 John? I don't think any of you have named your children Diotrephes. It's the first named dictatorial pastor who is marked for lording his authority over a Christian congregation in the New Testament. The Apostle John had written something to the church, but Diotrephes, 3 John verses 9 and 10, who loves to be first among them, he didn't accept what the Apostle John had said and had written his instructions to the church. In fact, then he didn't allow the people to receive other people in Christ in the church because things weren't going his way. <laughs> Diotrephes, he loved the preeminence. He was lording his position over them. I think it's obvious, right? There is no place for dominating lordly leaders in a family that is to be marked by mutual love, brotherhood, submission, humility, right? We've seen that all throughout 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 22, 2, verses 13 to 14, chapter 3, verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 14. All of these texts are talking about how we have mutual love in Christ, submission to God, submission to one another, humility, that's what's getting dressed for success. But success in so many spiritual leaders' eyes today is if I can lord it over them, if I can force them, if I can press it hard and get it my way, that's success. No, that is not success. Furthermore, the elder shepherd overseer should be humbled simply by the fact that the flock has been, what does the scripture say? Allotted to their charge. <laughs> In other words, the people are not the elders' possessions. They belong to the one who assigned them to their care. An allotment is something given, not earned. It's not land, it's not money or responsibility that is allotted. It's God's people. It's God's people. No wonder Peter gives strong warning against lording their position over others. 
But praise the Lord, this brings us to worthy motive number three. So instead of lording it over others, what's worthy motive number three, according to our text? But what? What's it say? What's that? But being an example, but proving to be examples to the flock, becoming examples to the flock. Matthew Henry's insight is, is this, quote, the ancient shepherd did not drive the sheep, but walked in front of them and called them to follow. So Jesus being our chief shepherd is the under shepherd's pattern for which to follow so that he can lead God's flock. First Peter 2, 21, for to this you have been called since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So in the church, the elder's primary style of leadership is not this pastor, not this pastor, not this personality, no. <laughs> the elder's primary style of leadership is to model Christ. Which is why Peter emphasizes humility and submission for the, other, the under shepherds all throughout this letter as they care for and oversee the flock. Speaking of modeling Christ and being an example, 2 Thessalonians 3.9, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy says, we offered ourselves as a model for you so that you would imitate us. Wow. Don't you want to be able to say that to your, your kids, to, to your grandkids, for the spiritual leaders of the church, to say to them, um, model, imitate me. <laughs> wow. And Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, what were some examples? Okay, what's it look like? How are we supposed to model you? Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is all scattered throughout 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul is recounting to them what to model, what to imitate. Don't seek glory from men. Be gentle as a nursing mother. Be loving and encouraging as a father. We gave you not only the gospel, but our very lives. There's an example, there's a model to follow. Hmm. Am I being as kind and gentle and tender as a nursing mother? Am I being that strong, loving, admonishing, encouraging as a father? Am I seeking glory from men? Or am I, am I proving to be an example of Christ? Paul said in Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in following my example, my footprints, walk in my footprints, and look for those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Find those people. Mimic those people. Be examples of their spiritual leadership and their care and their love for the one another's in the body of Christ. I was just talking with someone this morning about how in this church, how many examples there are to imitate. <sighs> Praise God for that. That's the work of God. That's the work of a faithful Christ-like ministry and spiritual leadership in the local body. Praise God for those models and those examples, those, those schematics of Christ-likeness that we can follow. Why? Because it's not to glorify them or puff up those examples. It's because they're little arrows running around this place pointing us to Christ in all they do and say. From their attitude to their actions. Praise the Lord for that here. It, I, forgive me for quoting Spurgeon again. Just one more. If the elders are petty tyrants who lord their authority over the church, others will follow their example abusing and fighting one another to gain power and recognition. If the elders are examples of uncompromising fidelity to scripture, then the congregation will more and more be loyal to scripture. If the elders trust God, the people will trust God. If the elders love God and his people, the people will love. 
If the elders are peaceful, gentle, loving, and prayerful, the church for the most part will emulate their pattern. If the elders are humble, the people will be humble, avoiding much contention. If the elders are servant leaders, the church will be marked by Christ-like humble servanthood. What a blessed influence is the holy character and conduct of Christian elders calculated to diffuse through the church. Side note, the Spirit of God prays his name. And as it's already been mentioned this morning, that the Spirit of God places in the heart of obedient believers a desire to seek godly examples to follow. He's the one who places that in their heart. What did Jesus say? John 10, my sheep will hear my voice and they will come. Uh, Probably half of us in this room can give a testimony of how you were perhaps at a previous church or a previous, previous church and there was perhaps some of the unworthy motives of this passage that we're studying this morning and it came to life and it came to life and it came to life. Perhaps false teaching. I've heard that many times from many people in our own congregation here. But praise the Lord that his sheep hear his voice and they will come as the truth goes out. Peter concludes now his appeal to the elders by reminding them of the fact that through all the difficulties, trials, persecutions, victory day is ahead. (laughs) Reward day is coming. Point number three, the shepherd's exaltation. Our last verse, the shepherd's exaltation. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Question, how can knowing that Christ will return in glory help leaders to guard themselves from arrogance and laziness? Accountability, ultimate accountability. Amen. Yes, good. The destruction awaiting those who did not shepherd his people his way. Amen. Because it's not only reward day that's coming, it's judgment as well. That's right. Jeremiah 23. Being ready every day. We don't know he's coming. That's right. Amen. Don't laugh at me now, okay? (laughs) Many people that dopamine is released when the brain receives a reward. But dopamine is actually released in anticipation of the reward. It's the dopamine that keeps the monkey pressing the bar until the treat arrives. What could be more encouraging to faithful shepherds who face many heartaches, problems, trials, and persecutions than to look forward to Christ's return as the chief shepherd and to share in his divine glory? The believer's dopamine is the sure hope of the glory that is to come. Amen? God takes shepherding faithfully so seriously that he rewards. (laughs) Even in Matthew 25, we have the parable of the talents. Jesus saying to the faithful stewards of, of what had been lent, what had been allotted to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, like an obedient child's reward to a joyful parent in anticipation of that that reward. The fact is true shepherds want to enter the joy of their master. How does this happen? When the shepherds take care of God's people, God's way. When the opposite is happening, as we've already noted, you get something like Jeremiah 23.1. 
Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Woe to them. Shepherding elders are not free to lead the people in any way they wish, for they must answer to the chief shepherd. Everything the elders do will be judged on the basis of faithfulness to him. So what's the reward for good shepherding that will extend through eternity? <laughs> the honor that comes from a job well done. Not, and not with a king's crown, and not even with a victor's crown, but one given by Christ, which will never fade. The crowns mentioned in scripture are symbols of perpetuity or immortality. You th think of the imperishable crown of 1 Corinthians 9.25 the crown of rejoicing that Paul said, you're my crown of rejoicing, dear flock, to the Thessalonians. Crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8. Crown of life, James 1.12. The point is, the glory is the reality. The crown is the metaphor. This glory is Christ's glory that will be displayed at his appearing. This unfading crown of glory is the reward for faithful, honorable, achievement under, as under shepherds of God's flock. <laughs> what, a, what a time of victory, right? And vindication and joy Christ's appearance will bring to the lowly, unnoticed elders who have faithfully shepherded God's flock. Hardworking, selfless shepherds may not have any earthly goods to show for a lifetime of toil, but someday, the chief shepherd will come and fully reward his under shepherds. Their work will no longer go unnoticed or unappreciated for he will reward them publicly before the host of heaven. He will bestow on them heavenly honor and glory. Therefore, all elders are to keep their eyes steadfastly fixed on his appearing because reward day is coming. So what's our call to action here? What's our call to action? We've seen Peter's specific instructions to, to elders about how to lead the, the flock of God willingly, eagerly, and by being an example with their very lives. And he's, he's shown that it's easy to shepherd badly by, by serving reluctantly or for personal gain or for, in a domineering, controlling way but for those elders who serve according to God's design, the reward will be significant. So what's your and my call to action? Number one, pray. Pray for the spiritual leadership of your church. Pray that, that they would have and be cultivating the, the heart of a shepherd which the great shepherd would smile upon. The church needs elders who are morally and spiritually fit to give leadership. Pray that they would be pure in accordance with the qualifications given to them in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and in Titus verses 1, 6 to 9. Pray, pray for their purity. Pray for their faithfulness. Pray that for their wisdom and their discernment as they shepherd the flock of God that is among them. Number two, appreciate them. Appreciate them. First Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13 says, appreciate or respect those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Appreciate them. Think, think about that today, maybe this week, how you can uh, specifically, uh, in specific, practical, even hand-on ways also that you can show your, your appreciation and your high esteem for them. And number three, imitate them. Imitate them. Hebrews 13, seven 
says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you and consider the result, the end of their life, consider their legacy, considering the result, imitate their faith. Imitate their conduct. Imitate how they trust in God. (laughs) Imitate their humility. There's so much to say about that, but we have to, to wrap it up. So yes, Peter's words here are specifically to the leadership within the local churches. And we've seen that we need to pray and appreciate and imitate but the principle of these instructions that we've received this morning are applicable to all believers within the body, are they not? So I just wanna, wanna conclude with these couple of, of questions and let it sit upon our hearts this morning as we think. Are you being faithful in the service God has currently placed you in? Are you leading or serving with the thought of personal gain in some way, in some fashion? Are you serving willingly, joyfully, eagerly in order to be an instrument that God uses to build up the body of Christ? Are you serving looking forward to that crown of glory that will never fade away. It all has to do with our heart. What is our heart's motivation as you answer these questions? And I I know I can say, and I think everyone here can say this morning, here at North Lake Bible Church, I see way more of this good, of that which we are to imitate overwhelmingly then we are to shun and not imitate. And to God alone be the glory for that in this congregation. Please pray with me. Father, you are merciful and you are gracious. Thank you for the, Lord, for the the faithful pastor you've given us and for the elders uh, that we have and those that will be added uh, to this body according to your kind will. Uh, Lord, keep, keep them humble and, and empower them with, with the gifts and graces they need to minister to this flock. Uh, keep us, Lord, from developing an attitude of pride and superiority And help us all, Lord, to pattern our life after Christ and to be setting a godly example for those that are in our care to the glory of your name. Thank you, Lord, for these, your people, and for the second hour that is to come as your word goes forth. May it do its sanctifying, enriching, convicting, comforting work in our lives, which we need so greatly, being your sheep. Thank you that you're our chief shepherd, Guide us, protect us, feed us, comfort us. Thank you, Lord, that you'll be faithful to do that and that you withhold no good thing from your children. So, Father, we thank you, we thank you, and we praise you for who you are and all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.